Welcome to I Want That, which is a podcast that focuses on the dynamic world of Disney merchandise. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill. And I'm entertainment writer and designer Michelle Valladolid. And this is our first show for May of 2019. And Avengers Endgame has been out in theaters for what, 13 days at this point? Smashing all sorts of box office it's records. Made 800 like, zillion billion gajillion dollars. Well, 2.27 billion in worldwide ticket sales. Only film that's made more than that at the box office is James Cameron's Avatar. That eventually went on to sell 2.7 billion worth of tickets. And if you talk with people at Disney, they're kind of of two minds. They would dearly love for Endgame to pass Avatar's box office. But again, that's it has to make another half a billion dollars. But at the same time, just because Disney back in March finally acquired 20th Century Fox, and that means that Avatar is now a Disney franchise... It gets complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. And another thing, frankly, that is also kind of complicating the Avengers being able to get that $500 million uh, it needs to, to pass Avatar is the live-action version of Aladdin, which uh, arrives in theaters on May 24th. Do you really think that it's going to impact the viewership that much? Endgame has huge repeatability. And a lot of people were ticked off when they saw the not-blue-genie that is actually blue in the film. The first teaser trailer wasn't the best thing on the planet. The second full-blown trailer was pretty good. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the interviews that Will Smith has been doing earlier this week. And in all cases, he's the first to admit, I've been in some terrible movies, which are to the audience, and you all know that. But this is a good one. No giant spiders in this one. Anyway, the current projections suggest that, that Aladdin's going to do somewhere between 70 to $90 million, which when you consider that when the live-action Beauty and the Beast came out in March of 2017, that did over $170 million on its opening weekend. But again, it had far less competition, wasn't dealing with an endgame out there sucking up all of into the box office you had mentioned you had been in jc penny lately right. and they have the disney boutiques inside the store i guess right. it's the disney collection inside of jc penny yeah it's nice it's all packed together in one little small section it would appear if you go over to the jc penny website they have lots and lots and lots of aladdin stuff right now a lot of it if we're talking about the genie character isn't will smith exactly the keys off of Robin Williams, or excuse me, Eric Goldberg's version right. of the genie as voiced by Robin Williams. Well, he's not He's not in the toys. He's not voiced by Robin Williams in the toys. Yeah. Oh boy, is he not. But there was this really cool one toy. It's kind of like a magic eight ball, but it's the magic lamp. Mm -hmm. And when you turn the handle of the lid, the little mm -hmm. jewel thing up there, it spins and stops randomly, and you get a picture from the original film with Eric Goldberg's genie and a voice quote from the film done by, I'm not going to say a sound-alike, because mm -hmm. it didn't really sound anything like him, but, but it was a fun voice. Okay. What I noticed, though, is all of the Aladdin merchandise, except for a bracelet set, was centered around the original animated film, not the new live-action version. 
If you go to jcpenny.com, they have a crossbody bag that's themed to Jasmine, and it's very clearly the Naomi Scott. She's the actress who who plays Jasmine in the the film that Guy Ritchie directed. It's a more stylized Raja, less cartoony. But if you go to Hot Topic and look at mm-hmm. the Aladdin merch they have there, they have items tied to Jafar. They have a lot got a lot of items tied to Aladdin. A good portion of stuff for the genie, but I would say eighty-five percent of it is jasmine, and you can get a a jasmine peacock kimono. You can get a jasmine peacock swim top, a swim bottom, a romper for the strong female heroine crowd. There's a preponderance of t-shirts and sweatshirts and tops there. With the catchphrase, there's one from the animated film, I am not a prize to be won. Mm-hmm. And the other one seems to be a significant line from the live action film, which is a woman of many dreams. It was also fun while going through uh, what Hot Topic had available for the live action Aladdin to see all of the, the Funko Pop figures they've done for it. Yeah, it is. It's really nice. I also really love that uh, brave little Taylor Mickey one have just to get totally off the subject oh i guess i've not seen that but i i walk into cut into a hot topic and they're like no shelly we don't have any new kyler ren stuff give them six months or when is the triple force event because i guess oh oh also- oh september september okay on the other hand, May 16th, inside of the Star Wars launch bay in Tomorrowland, inside of Disneyland, they're holding a pin trading event. It's going to run from 7 to 11 p.m. Now, mind you, not a free pin trading event. Uh, admission is $20 per guest. But you're going to have the opportunity to pre-purchase select pins from the Up Collection. Now, when, when they say the Up Collection, what they're talking about is that they're celebrating now the 10th anniversary of the release of Pete Doctor's Up. And there's actually some really charming pins. There is a celebrating 10 years money jar and we have the the young Carl and Ellie saving to go to Paradise Falls. That's an addition size of 3,000. There's what they refer to as the jumbo pin. Again, celebrating 10 years and it's Carl and Ellie in their house and they, they have the two of them in their very distinct chairs uh, as they sit in reading. And again, these are them during their younger days in their marriage. And that's an addition size of a thousand. When they say jumbo pin, they mean about the size of your hand, right? I guess, you know, that's the See, because I want a jumbo pin that I can pin on the entire back of my jean jacket. Mm-hmm. Like a gang logo. They have what they call the Up Puzzle Pin Mystery Set. And revealed pin edition size of 1,100, chaser pin edition size 600. And that looks to be a big size piece with a lot of characters. I mean, you've got Doug, you've got Russell, you've got Carl and Ellie as young kids. You've got Kevin the bird. You've even got the villain and the dogs. This event is also supposedly held at Walt Disney World on the 16th. There is a Club 33 merchandise event going on right now at the Disneyland Hotel. Oh, okay. And it's, they came out with uh, Mai Tai glasses and Mm -hmm. tall Tiki-esque glasses, a pin that opens up and shows a um, 
Adventureland style design inside and a bunch of mm-hmm. other things. So, well, sorry we missed that. Yeah, <laughs> but we're not members. <laughs> well, mark your calendars. What is it? Two months down the line. Two months down the line, and I don't have an exact date yet. Mm-hmm. Kurt Raymond, who is the artist who does those really fantastic ride entrance murals, the Fantasyland ride mm-hmm. entrance murals. And some other just incredible art. But in two months, he's going to have some uh, new... He's going to have a signing. And -hmm. he's got three pieces so far that I know about. One is based on 101 Dalmatians. Mm -hmm. One is based on The Little Mermaid. And the third is based on Aladdin. There's a surprise. (laughs) Okay. And while we're telling folks to look forward to future work from uh, Disney artists... Dave Avanzino. 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 I never pronounce his name right. Dave has, for years now, done those amazing pieces of dimensional art with with cut paper and and that sort of thing. And he's got some new pieces coming out. Is that correct? Yeah. There's a, I'll get you pen if there's the last thing I do. And a really cool pirates one and stuff. And you can go to at Dave Avanzino anywhere. And mm-hmm. go go to the Disneyland Resort and uh, the, the Disneyana shop and a few other places and buy his work. Because it is, it can't be described. It is jaw-dropping. The attention to detail, you can tell he really loves Disney. Mm-hmm. But more to the point, he has a, a unique eye that, that you know, can just sculpt the, these wonderful exactly. pieces out of... Wonderful bits that are wild, but at the same time, weirdly on model. Yeah, like part of his Dead Man Tell No Tales one, mm-hmm. uh, he sculpted little bones to make up a couple of the letters. Yikes. Okay. It's, oh, it's so cool. All right. And speaking of cool, it's what's been kind of cool for the, the series so far is that the nice folks that... In the book, Yay. have been sponsoring our contest uh, here on for our podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is that series of personalized books that are published by Signature. They've got thirty different Disney-related titles, both hardcover and softcover, and based on a lot of Disney's most recent blockbusters, like Moana, Finding Dory, Toy Story Three, that sort of thing. And what's cool is that because of the personalization option. You can be, or if you're just selecting as, you know, for your child, your child can be added to the story, you know, putting them right in the middle of the adventure. Use your own name and tell your kid that's really what happened to you. There we go. And one lucky I want that listener is going to get the chance to do that. And you have their name, I believe. I do. It's Joe Ruhak. Thank you for taking part in, in the contest there, Joe. And the nice folks at In the Book uh, have offered us a couple others to give away here. And if you'd be interested in taking part, folks, please send your entry along to contests, that's with an S, at jimhillmedia.com. And speaking of books, when we get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk about the latest Pixar-related art of book that Chronicle Books just released literally yesterday. Let me think. Pixar, and there's a new movie coming out. Could it be? 
Yeah, that would be the art of Toy Story 4, and we'll talk about da, 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 da. it in just a moment. Before we get started here, a good friend of the show is Dave Bossert, who's written a number of great books. In fact, I, just today I was looking at his best. This Oswald book, yep. But a more recent project of Dave's, uh, I want to say Kem Weber, Mid-Century mm -hmm. Furniture yeah. for Disney Studios. K-E-M-W-E-B-E-R. Got some recognition. Can you talk about that? The book just won an award. They got the gold medal for the Eric Hoffer Book Award gold medal for best author published title for 2019. The annual awards celebrate excellence in independent publishing with thousands of book titles submitted each year. But Dave Bossert's book about Kem Weber won. And it's called Kem Weber Mid-Century Furniture Designs for the Disney Studios. And Old Mill Press put this out last year. This isn't the only award that it's won. It also took the gold and the silver and the Ben Franklin Awards this year. So nice. Definitely worth checking out. Again, it's it's a book about furniture design, folks, but doesn't sound like it should be entertaining and it is surprisingly so. About ten years ago, Ethan Allen had a set of called the Walt Disney Collection that was recreations of Kem Weber's furniture and also some original designs based on Kem Weber's designs for the Disney studio. And God, I loved those, but there it's like $2,000 for a side table and stuff. And yeah, that wasn't going to happen. Now Ethan Allen has Disney furniture, but it's like Mickey head stuff and things like that. Boy, I'd really love to see that original one come back. I love well, that brutal, brutalistic style. In the more affordable range, like $40 for the hardcover... Oh, yeah. <laughs> ...is The Art of Toy Story 4, which showed up on store shelves on May 7th. And um, I, I, I want to be careful here, because obviously... Spoilers. We still, you know, a number of weeks out from Toy Story 4's June 21st release date. And what's kind of interesting about this 160-page book is that Josh Cooley, the director of the project, gets to talk about this is the first movie since Toy Story 3 came out in 2010. And in between, we had the Toy Story that time forgot, we had the Toy Story of Terror, the holiday specials, and the feeling was, not to mention the Toy Story tunes. And... And again, the feeling was that, you know, if we're going back to theaters, you know, especially after these projects for television and these shorts, you know, we need to go big. So so literally what's interesting about Toy Story 4 is it's it's widescreen. It's the, you know, the, the first Toy Story in that format. Also, when they were sort of sussing out the story, there were a number of folks at Pixar who were like, why are we going back? You know, we did such a, a, a beautiful job of capping the story with Toy Story 3. And it was Andrew Stanton who, you know, had been a, a key member of the original story team on Toy Story and not to mention the director of the Finding Nemo films. And he was like, no, 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 guys. It wasn't the end of the Toy Story story at the end of Toy Story 3. It was end of Andy's story. Andy's story, right, right. Yeah, that, you know, so Woody's story 
is continuing. In fact, that that's what's intriguing about Toy Story 4 without giving too much away is that what Josh Cooley talked about is like, look, if, if you sat the character Andy down and you asked him what the most important day of his life was, he'd say it was the time he met Bo again. And we're just going to let that hang out there and not get into many specifics. But what was kind of cool about paging through this book was at the 142 page mark of this 160 page book, turned the page and was like, oh my God, is that who I think it is? It was Tinny, uh, who was the star of Pixar's Tin Toy sh uh, short back in August of 1988, which without Tin Toy, there would have never been a Toy Story. In March of 1989, Tin Toy takes home the Oscar for Best animated short no cg film had ever done that before and as pete doctor who's now the new chief creative officer at pixar uh, recalled in an interview that he did with alan newitz uh making tunes uh inside the most popular tv shows and movies by the way excellent book well worth chasing down he said ed catmount who's the president of pixar had long had dreams of doing a feature film using computers he had this plan loosely in place that we would start by doing shorts, then we would do commercials because shorts don't actually make any money, and then we were going to do television of some sort, working our way up to a feature. So what they were hoping to do, especially on the heels of, of Tintoy's Oscar win, was do a holiday special, which was going to be called A Tintoy Christmas. And, okay, so here's Doctor again, talking with Alan Newith, describing the proposed storyline for this holiday special. So Tinny, who's, uh, that's the name of the title character of Tintoy, is part of the set of musical musicians from the 1940s. And the thing is, they don't sell. And so they, they get put away in storage, and it's kind of a Rip Van Winkle-like story that when Tinny wakes up, it's it's now the bustling 90s. Does that have anything to do with the, with the uh, magical orchestra from Kingdom Hearts in the toy store? I'm afraid I'm not familiar with that. Okay. But anyway, Tinny's now in this huge megastore like Toys R Us. The idea here was that they were going to do a 22-minute long TV special, much in the style of our Charlie Brown Christmas or, you know, How the Grinch Stole Christmas or that sort of thing. And, and in the end, Tinny was going to re reunite with his old bandmates and they were going to play a holiday tune. And it was, But it was envisioned as kind of a road picture with Tinny hitting the road with another toy from the 1940s, which was going to be a ventriloquist dummy that was clearly modeled on or inspired by Charlie McCarthy. But here's the thing. During the period that Tin Toy, uh, a Tin Toy Christmas is in development, Jeffrey Katzenberg is rapidly pursuing John Lasseter, trying to get him to come back to Disney Studios. And Lasseter keeps rejecting Katzenberg's recruitment efforts because as he tells Ed Catmull, it's like, look, I can go to Disney and be a director, or I can stay here and make history. And it's mid-1990 now, and Pixar is walking around L.A. pitching a Tintoy Christmas to all of the major networks, and who all love the idea. But when they hear about the projected costs, the original Tintoy short, five minutes long, cost $300,000 to make. You extrapolate from that, it's like, okay, we're going to do 22 minutes. All right. It's going to take us a million and a half dollars to produce this holiday special. And the networks are like, 
A Charlie Brown Christmas cost $76,000. Well, it was supposed to, but it ran over budget. It went $20,000 over budget, and Coca-Cola executives almost threw themselves out the window because of that. Chuck Jones turned this to his advantage because his was the holiday special that went into production after Charlie Brown Christmas, and he was the one who turned to the executives at, at CBS and went, whoa. Boy, you barely got a sh- you know a show done for ninety six thousand dollars. Tell you what, just to be on the safe side, why don't you give me three hundred thousand dollars, and I'll guarantee you we can get you a show for that. But anyway, they end up taking Tin Toy to Disney or a Tin Toy Christmas to Disney, and now they're trying to sell Disney on the idea of look, this could be a holiday featurette for theatrical to release, like. 1978's uh, A Small One or 1983's uh, Christmas Carol. And to be honest, this was a a valid idea because about this same time, Walt Disney Animation Studios is wrapping up production of Prince of the Popper, that Mickey featurette, which went out in theaters in November of 1990 with Rescuers Down Under. And this was supposed to be the first of a series of new featurettes featuring Mickey Mouse and with the idea that the artists and animators who were working at the then newly opened Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida facility at Disney MGM Studios would go forward with. Now, I know you and I, when we lived down there, we used to go through what they called the fishbowl down at Feature Animation Florida and where you could see the guys working on stuff. And do you remember the time we were in there and in the story room, they had all of the, or they had a, boards up for a section of a project that they were supposed to begin working on called Mickey's Arabian Adventure? I don't okay. remember that. But I remember, I mean, I remember the fishbowl and everything. I remember mm-hmm. watching him do Hunchback. Yep. Well, this was before they roped them in starting with Beauty and the Beast, to, to start working on the full-blown features. This was the plan, that they were going to do the featurettes there. So there was Mickey's Arabian Adventure, which I remember they wanting to release in 91. Oh, wait, 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 in front of Aladdin, right? Yeah. And then there was also Christopher Columbus. This was the Mickey as Christopher Columbus, and that was supposed to be out in theaters. In... What do you think of that? Yeah, 1990, either 1992, well, it depends on which version of the rhyme you go with. As it was explained to me, it's like Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, or Columbus sailed the deep blue sea in 1493. Either way, that was the plan. There was going to be Prince of the Popper, followed by Mickey's Arabian Adventure, and then the Christopher Columbus Project. So they're pitching Katzenberg on, we'll come here, we'll do the holiday featurette, and Jeffrey's like, oh, come on. If you're going to make a 22-minute-long holiday featurette, Dumbo was only 64 minutes long. So all you'd have to do to do a a full-length animated film is just three featurettes. And you can stretch a story, can't you? They go back and they're thinking about it. And in the meantime, this is late 1990. Peter Schneider, the then head of uh, feature animation, reaches out through back channels to Cadmull and says, look, all right, tell you what. We have this deal with Tim Burton to set up an outside satellite studio 
to do a stop motion movie based on his that thing he wrote while he was here nightmare before christmas which by the way also was supposed to be a holiday special let's do the same thing with pixar we'll set up a three-picture deal you've already been here talking about tin toy jeffrey's already been talking with the guys about taking the tin toy christmas and blowing it out the feature length let's do a deal and sure enough may of 1991 steve jobs signs a deal with disney it's a three-picture deal it's not the greatest terms jobs was going to get 12 percent of the gross ticket sales we're only getting 26 million dollars and and that was somehow supposed to fund the production of three cg films i which given that the original toy story all by itself cost 30 million dollars at least they're running now but of course now that they've signed the deal jeffrey katzenberg starts hammering them with notes problem one as far as jeffrey sees it is that a tin toy from the 1940s and a charlie mccarthy ventriloquist doll isn't going to appeal to modern kids and you know what he was right then it's like you know the guys at pixar it's like but we need strong characters strong relatable characters to build a whole movie around and so the initial redo was charlie mccarthy's too old-fashioned but we need a conflict this is going to be kind of a buddy comedy at least that was initially the way the guys at pixar were were, well you remember the stories they told about pixar the rules for making toy story no songs no happy village so what ends up happening is that well they think about okay you know well when we grew up we grew up watching cowboy tv shows if you were a child of the 50s and 60s that's what was on in the afternoon because that was the television from the 1950s that they then repurposed for kids you know in the 60s so Hopalong cassidy roy rogers but on the other hand you'd watch these shows in the afternoon and then the news would come on and here was john glenn here were the the mercury seven astronauts and i think it was lassiter who actually came up with the idea that wait a minute you know we have the old frontier the the american west versus the new frontier space and it's like why don't we have a cowboy toy interact or or be in conflict with a spaceman toy and so the ventriloquist dummy uh, loses his top hat and his tuxedo and gets a cowboy outfit and in fact uh, just this past week i learned did you know that woody has a last name what woody woodson woody 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 pride pride Pride. yes i actually i learned that on tumblr a couple years ago and forgot about it there we go and the more interesting thing is that john lassiter because again he wanted to sort of re-enhance the old frontier versus new frontier he also wanted to do something where for you know it was like old hollywood versus new hollywood so he was thinking initially when it was going for a voice for woody that wouldn't it be cool if they got Paul Newman to voice Woody. And conversely, for the Spaceman toy, what Lass had remembered from growing up is on the heels of G.I. Joe coming out in 1964, the the action figure. Wait, wait, where did Casper come in? Well, Casper, when John Lasseter was a little boy, he got a Casper toy. In fact, what's kind of interesting is it was the second generation of whole string talking toys 
that Mattel put on the market. The first one came out in 1960, and it was Chatty Cathy, which, by the way... Inspired uh, Talkie Tina. Yeah, (laughs) which showed up on the Twilight Zone in, I want to say, 1963. In fact, weird little sidebar here. June Foray, of course, the, the, the voice acting legend. Uh, Rockin' Bowinkle and all that. That, uh, but and the Animation Union. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, it just you know he had a huge role in the industry. But the interesting thing is that she voiced for Mattel, the original Chatty Cathy, and then three years later, when Rod Serling wanted to do an episode of The Twilight Zone that had basically an evil Chatty Cathy, Talkie Tina, right? Right. He reached out to June, and June was tickled that, you know, she got the invitation and basically did her chatty Kathy voice only, I'm going to kill you! <laughs> I'm Talkie Tina, and I'm going to kill you. But you anyway. You better be nice. You know, I have, a, I have a great June foray story. My dad and I were at one of the June foray, I mean the June foray, the Mark Davis lectures at the Academy. And uh, she came in, and she's no, she was no bigger than a minute. She was tiny, but she had been one of my late brother's clients. So I said, hey, I'm Jim's little sister, and she remembered him and said he was great. He handled her stuff well, and she said she was kind of shook up. She'd just been in a car accident. So what happened was she likes to kick off her, her extremely high, chunky heels when she drives and she went to brake and one of the shoes had slid under the brake. So she, she hit somebody and uh, nobody was hurt, but she was shook up. So my dad and I bought her orange gray gooses, orange gray goose martinis. And the three of us sat there and got pickled on gray goose martinis before Andreas went up and did all his amazing stuff. Oh, that's a great story. Wow. Yeah. She was, she was a great lady. And my brother, when, he was uh, handling her finances, said that she and Paul Fries were his favorite customers. Wow. Oh. Oh. We'll have to talk about Paul Fries at some point. Anyway, uh, getting back to the Casper story. After Chatty Cathy comes out in 1960, he's a huge success. Mattel immediately looks around, well, we, we got to do more of these pull string talking dolls. So they do Maddie Mattel. Literally a doll that, that's supposed with the last name Mattel and his sister Belle Mattel. But they wanted to sort of dip their toe in licensing. And it turns out the most affordable license at that point, because frankly the character had been off the market for years, was Casper the Friendly Ghost from uh, Paramount's famous studios, the, their animation line. And so they did a, a Casper the Friendly Ghost doll. So they, were, they followed Chatty Cathy with a string of three dolls. And the interesting thing is John Lasseter, as a young boy, this was a a toy that he got. In fact, there's a number of pictures of John in the family station wagon where it's John, his sister, and his brother. And and there's John happily clutching his Casper the Friendly Ghost doll. Anyway, back to uh, Toy Story and them sussing out the characters. So, uh, again, they're looking to do a Spaceman character to sort of counteract the Woody or... You know, to come into conflict with the cowboy. 
and you know it's like well what should we do for a spaceman character and john again who's a huge toy collector said well remember after gi joe came out in 1964 mattel had to come up with its own you know action figure for boys and they decided especially what with the vietnam war becoming that much more controversial it's like let's not do war toys let's do space toys so they come up with a character called major matt mason who's a spaceman. In fact, what's interesting is they cribbed a lot of the ideas for the toy and its accessory straight from what NASA was doing. There's a famous cover of Life magazine with a giant sort of supersized spacesuit that Mattel immediately turned around and made that for Major Matt Mason. But Major Matt Mason, to get to the market quickly and to be affordable, was basically half the size of G.I. Joe. And that's why when you see the original versions of Woody and Buzz, Buzz is like six inches tall, Mm -hmm. if that. Mm -hmm. Because again, he's modeled after Major Matt Mason. In fact, the giveaway that he's modeled after Major Matt Mason is the character's original name was Lunar Larry. And he wore the same red jumpsuit. He did, he did. But again, remember, we talked old Hollywood versus new Hollywood. And so they were looking for somebody who had been in recent hit films to come in and voice Lunar Larry. And Billy Crystal was just at this time coming off of a huge success, City Slickers. And so Lassiter reaches out to Billy Crystal and to sell him on the idea of being the character, they actually animated a piece of test footage from when Harry met Sally, there's the the famous speech about the wagon-wheeled coffee Mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. And they they animate Lunar Larry talking about the coffee table. And in fact, when he makes his exit, he walks out under the wagon-wheeled coffee table. And they showed it to Billy Crystal, and he's like, what? He didn't get, why am I watching animation of me from a different movie? I, I don't, and why is he walking under the coffee? Billy just didn't get it. So he passed on the project and, you know, they're talking about, you know, we need new Hollywood to go against the old Hollywood, Paul Newman. And who do they reach out to? Who's just had two monster hit films at this point, The Mask and Ace Ventura, but Jim Carrey. God, no. Seriously. No, no, I believe you, just God, no. Yeah. In fact, at this point, to make the character... A little more Jim Carrey friendly. They changed his name from Lunar Larry to Tempest of Morph, I want to say. Like Mork from Work. Yeah, and Carrey said no, which is kind of interesting because earlier this week we saw the trailer drop for Sonic the Hedgehog, and here's Carrey's take on Dr. Robotnik. There's also a pretty extensive run at doing Jim Carrey in a starring in a remake of Don Knotts' The Incredible Mr. Limpet. I mean, they got pretty far down the line there. All right, at this point, though, here's the problem. Jeffrey Katzenberg is like, we need stars. We need stars for the voices in this thing. And, and Paul Newman, after considering it, says no. And, of course, you know, we already know about Billy Crystal. Though the interesting thing is, as soon as Toy Story came out and became this huge hit, Crystal... Just regret isn't the proper word. It's like, oh, God, I was an idiot. So one day, he and his wife Janice are at home, and the phone rings, and the caller ID just says Pixar. And Crystal picks up the phone, and his first word is yes. 
and it's like hello it's like yes it's like hey, mr crystal yes it's like what's going on he says i don't care what you're offering me i'm saying yes just just let me let me make a movie with you guys and that's how he ended up making monsters inc and paul newman obviously came around doc hudson for cars yep on the other hand tom hanks they did pretty much the same thing they did with billy crystal they created a, a piece of test animation only in this case it was the woody it's a speech from P- philadelphia right well, actually, no, it was Turner and Hugh Cooch. <laughs> there was know, that great. I know it was Turner and Hooch. You know, um, but, it, but it, the great thing is it was, you know, Woody reacting to a play school dog in a play school car. And it was like, car, don't eat the car. And Hanks, to his credit, was immediately charmed. And it's like, wow, this is cool. Yeah, I'm in. Though, interestingly enough, there, there's also a story about how. He talked about, in fact, you just mentioned Philadelphia. He talked about, hey, guys, I should probably not be doing voice work for an animated film while I'm doing Philadelphia or I'm doing Castaway because I don't know if I can switch gears between light comedy and drama that easily. So he, he th- that was interesting. He'd only come in and do voice work in the movies when he was working on comedies. He felt like I'm in the right headspace and that sort of thing. They get the film finished. Or they're getting the film finished, and they—it's now again. This is the Walt Disney Company, and we're all about the retail channels, and and getting stuff out there. And so they were. Well, can we merchandise Toy Story? I mean, again, it's called Toy Story. It, it seems pretty logical. We should sell some toys. But um, when they go to the American International Toy Fair in February of. 1995 none of the major toy manufacturers hasbro mattel any of them they aren't interested in all they they look at the art and they're a little concerned about how you know they don't look cuddly they don't the oddly enough the toys because they're they're rendered in cg they don't look huggable you know kind of cold for a lot of these folks it was like look nothing personal we'd really like to stick with hunchback or talk with you about the next one down the line, Pocahontas. But we'll we'll take a pass on Toy Story. And the one that ends up willing to take a shot on this is a teeny tiny toy company out of Toronto called Thinkway. But it takes, you know, from February till April to finally get the contract finalized. So there are only five months left at this point. They get a toy design built and then shipped off to manufacturing facilities overseas. Mm-hmm. Which is why for Christmas of 1995, Thinkway was only able to get 50,000 plush Woody dolls. Which remember, you know, you, you've got your pull string with your voice box and your plastic head. But on the other hand, sighted retailers. Well, yeah. But the other, you know, the other issue here was difficulty of manufacturing. I mean, in the case of Buzz, because he was hard plastic, virtually all hard plastic. They were only able to get 20,000 of them made out wow. ahead of Christmas. Then it comes out, holiday 1995. It is the hottest toy of, of that season. And I think, well, you tell that great story about David and Thomas. Yeah, yeah. When they ran the, the first Toy Story parade at Disney MGM Studios. Mm-hmm. David and Thomas, when they first ran the new Toy Story Parade at Disney MGM Studios, as it was back then. 
David and Thomas followed behind the rope, holding their buzz and their woody, and people were just like, where did you get that? Mm -hmm. I remember that we caught the first screening of Toy first screening of the day at, at uh, the AMC Pleasure Island of Toy Story, and we got out of the movie in time to then drive over to Disney MGM to catch the first... Well, the, the very first time that the Toy Story parade rolled through the studio theme park. And and now, I guess, you know, the irony is that, you know, here we are, we're coming full circle. Here's here's Toy Story 4, and Tinny has a role in this film, and... Now we can go see the movie, mm-hmm. and then go to Toy Story Land. But well, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, for strictly selfish reasons, I'm kind of hoping that there is a a Tinny toy available as part of the Toy Story 4 retail program, though... If you want to talk about bringing things full circle, and remember when, when they were talking about the A Tin Toy Christmas, Tinny was supposed to be paired with a, a Charlie McCarthy-like ventriloquist doll, and we were just talking about Gabby Gabby, the the villain of Toy Story 4, who's modeled on Chatty Cathy by way of Talky Tina from Twilight Zone. But have you heard about her henchmen? Only from you. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't... Why don't you tell the nice folks out there? She's got a quartet of ventriloquist dummies who are, are dressed in tuxedos, who are her, her minions. That just cracks me up that, you know, again, when you consider who Tin Toy, or Tinny was supposed to be paired with with the original Tin Toy Christmas, that God help us, we're back to ventriloquist dummies in tuxedos. While we're talking about creepy things, one particularly creepy touch Toy Story 4, again, is coming out on June 21st of this year, but it, on the exact same day, the reboot of the Chucky movies, Child's Play, is coming out. With Mark Hamill as Chucky. Yeah, it's the voice of the, the toy, but it's being released by United Artists stateside. But what I find especially interesting, given how heavily Jeffrey Katzenberg was involved in the development of the original Toy Story and he, how he so rapidly pursued John Lasseter to get him come back to Disney. But do you know who the producer of the Child's Play reboot is? Let me think. No. David Katzenberg, Jeffrey's son. That cute baby we saw at Epcot that one time? Yep, that's him. And I, if you folks want to see a particularly interesting poster, the teaser poster for Chucky came out just last week, and it... You you see basically Chucky walking off to the side of the poster, but there on the ground is the cowboy doll that he's just mangled. That looks an awful lot like Woody. So I can't help but think they deliberately picked this release date going head-to-head with Toy Story 4 with the hope that they'll get a little heat and they'll get a little attention. Well, you know what? It worked. Because I get the news on my Amazon, mm-hmm. and that was actually one of the things they were talking about in entertainment news was that poster. Very cool. Okay, folks, so that's pretty much it for this episode of I Want That, and hopefully we'll be back in two weeks with uh, another brand new show. But until then, Michelle, where can folks find you online? Micechat.com. I'm actually... Uh, I've been promoted. I'm doing the MySage updates now. On uh, my side of the fence, we've got the Disney Dish podcast with Lentesto. We've got 
fine tuning with drew taylor we've got the marvel us disney podcast with the amazing Aaron adams we have looking at lucasfilm with dan z and the universal joint podcast with dustin fuse so tell you what uh if you would do michelle and i a favor and head over to itunes and rate and recommend our show uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what we do here, you could subscribe to Bandcamp. That helps keep the lights on, so to speak. And I guess for now, that'll do it. On behalf of Ms. Valladolid, thank you very much for listening. Thanks. And uh, we'll be back with a new show shortly.